Well, good morning. Great to be with you. If you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be around verse 5 or so. We'll start there in just a few minutes. If you're a guest or maybe not been with us for a while, we're walking straight through the book of Colossians, verse by verse. We're studying through it. We're reading through it as a church in our personal time of the Lord. Uh, and this incredible transformational book in our life. I hope it's been transformational for you as much as it has been for me personally. So Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick up there in just a second. Uh, let, me, let me start with a little bit of an illustration and kind of set the tempo for where we're going to be going today so you know where we're headed. Um, it's summertime, or summer's right around the corner, and that means a whole lot for families and out of school and all that stuff, but it usually means there's some pretty good family movies that come out in the summer. Now, my family loves watching movies, and we like going to the movies together, and recently uh, one of our favorite movie series is the whole Avenger series. We love the Avenger series. That's my favorite Avengers, my little daughter. She loves Thor. She thinks he's cute. You know, she, we love the Avengers. Well, one of the Avengers, if you know anything about these movies, is a, is a character, and I'm going to go ahead and put his face up on the screen. That guy right there, it's Bruce Banner, right? So Bruce Banner, if you know anything about the movie, he's a brilliant scientist. Uh, he's, he's a kind of a mild-mannered guy, a real subtle guy, never gets too upset. And then there are times, however, in certain contexts, in certain situations, that this mild-mannered, brilliant scientist literally becomes this guy, a different person. The Hulk, right? In other words, there's this... This thing lurking within, as the story goes, Bruce Banner, that at times literally takes over his life. This power that's lurking within him. There's this, there's this battle within that the Hulk character describes for us. There's, there's something within him that at times he literally becomes a different person. There's a struggle going on. If you know the series, and watch the movies, you know that. In fact, you're kind of sitting there watching the movie and you're wondering, now, what's going to send him off? Or what's, what's going to trigger him? Or when is the Hulk that's lurking inside going to come out? Now, what in the world does all that have to do with the book of Colossians? Well, here's what it has to do with you and me this morning as followers of Jesus Christ. We can relate to a battle raging within us. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ has transformed us. Jesus lives within us. We are new creations like we just read about. We've been raised to life. We are complete in Christ. All of these realities, however, there's still a battle raging within us with sin. And you can relate to that. The Hulk is kind of a, a picture of that. We, we still battle with something called selfishness. We still battle with something called greed. We, we still battle with envy and jealousy in our lives. We battle with lust. We battle with getting along with each other. We, we see and we wake up in the mornings and we think, yeah, here's the way I want to treat my wife. Here's the way I want to treat my kids. Here's the way I want to conduct my life today. I want to be this Christ-like figure. And then by the end of the day, you realize, man, I just blew it. This struggle. I had a conversation with somebody earlier after the first service, and they said, you know, I used to think that my struggle in my life meant I wasn't a Christian. Listen, i got something to tell you. The struggle with sin in your life is, to, is an indicator that the Spirit of God lives within you. There'll be a struggle. 
What we want to wrestle with this morning as followers of Christ, how do we struggle well? How do we struggle well? That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching the church at Colossae here. He's teaching them something about who they are in Christ, what is true of all of us as followers of Christ, but at the same time, a battle that rages within. He spends two chapters talking about Christ in us. We're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're made new. But then he reminds us that our old habits, selfish desires, corrupt ways of thinking, evil passions, prideful insecurities, faithless fears, etc., 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 there's still this residue within us of our old former self. The Bible calls that the flesh. Paul in Galatians 5, we won't take time to turn there, describes it this way. Walk in the Spirit, the control of the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the lust of the flesh. He says, for the two wage war against one another. There's this struggle going on with you and me, within us, of the Spirit of Jesus alive in us. But this old residue of who we used to be. How do we deal with that? How do we fight that battle? What does it look like in our lives? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. A vital truth for you to kind of set the trajectory is this. The struggle with sin is a daily ongoing reality in the life of every Jesus follower. We're in a battle. So how do we fight well? Well, Colossians chapter 3 is going to help us with that. Uh, let me just remind you that Colossians 3.5, as you're reading along on your own, Colossians 3.5 and this following verses is kind of a transition point in the book. The Apostle Paul has been writing, and he's been writing two chapters of incredible heavenly truth, if you will, about who we are in Christ. Again, we're, we're complete in Christ. and All of our sin are, are forgiven and Christ is in us and Christ dwells in us and He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and we've been delivered from the domain of darkness. We've been transferred to a new kingdom and on and on and on throughout chapters 1 and 2. And then when you get to chapter 3, as is Paul's pattern as he writes the New Testament, he goes from here's what's true, now here's, how it, here's what it looks like on Monday morning. Here's how it presses out in your daily life. Some people want to say, well, you know, the Bible just deals with this lofty stuff. It never deals with daily life. Listen, you're not going to believe that 30 minutes from now. I assure you. The Bible gets painfully practical in our lives, followers of Christ. Duh. Paul's going Paul's to get painfully practical with you and me in Colossians 3.5. I'm just going to give you a disclaimer. Get ready. Because it's painfully practical to our lives. So he talks about who we are in Christ. He talks about we're seated in the heavenlies. We've been raised with Christ, 3, 1 through 4. And then you get to chapter 3, verse 5, and Paul says this. You can follow along. The verses will be on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, there's a paperback copy in the seat pocket in front of you. Take that. You can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take that with you. Just follow the flow of thought here. Verse 5, Paul says this. Going from this, these heavenly truths, he says, verse 5, put to death. Now stop right there. Let's be honest. If you're reading along in your Bible and you, you come to these lofty truths about who we are in Christ, the next verse says, kill something. <laughs> now all the East Tennessee hunters think, well, great, man. It's turkey season. I'm, no, it's not what he's talking about. But Paul is saying something with almost a violent bent to it. 
There's something you got to do battle with. He says, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gets really specific. He even goes through a, a sample list, if you will. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These things are to grasp our attention. He says, verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. That's who you used to be, verse 8, but now, but now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. You're not who you used to be, but there's a residue of who you used to be still in your life. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is one of those passages that's just to get your attention. It's put to death. Paul, what are you talking about here? So back in verse 5, I'm just going to walk through. We're going to ask a couple questions. And we're going to try to make this very applicable to our lives this morning. Verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, you've probably heard this before. Circle that word and realize the word therefore is to set me up that what's about to be said is based on what was just said. Chapter 1 and 2. Who we are in Christ. What Christ has done for us. Christ in us. Therefore. Put to death. Now the phrase put to death literally means in graphic language, kill. Slay. The old King James word, mortify. Render useless. Paul is, Paul is rejecting some passive idea that believers might have that says... Okay, I'm completely forgiven in Christ, which I am. I, Christ is in me, which I am. Therefore, I don't have to do battle with the sin that still is in my members. It's there and it's still hunting us and after us. There's a struggle. There's a struggle. Kill what, Paul? Help, help us understand this. Well, Colossians 3, 5, the New Living Translation, helps us understand it a little bit. He says, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. It's a great word. Lurking within you. The idea of earthly is the things of this fallen world. The things that we've inherited from our ancestors, if you will, in the flesh. We have inherited a thing called sin. It affects every area of our lives. It's things of this realm as opposed to things of the kingdom of God. It's lurking in other words, this thing called the flesh that is still present in our lives, even as believers, is attempting to exert influence over your life and my life. It's lurking there. And listen, Paul gets even more specific here. He says it's lurking within you. Now get this. Paul is not here talking about the culture around us yet. He's not talking about who's president or who's not president. He's not talking about the degree that our culture is running down. I get all that. He's not worried about what Target is doing or not doing. He's worried and he's talking about what is in you and in me. 
He says it's lurking in you. It's earthy. And then to help us, Paul gets very specific. I mean, painfully specific here. He gives us some examples. Paul gives a list here. He gives two different sets, if you will, of sins. One's in verse 5. One's in verse 8. It's kind of a sampling to, to trigger in our minds some things that rise up in our heart. Some things that rise up in our flesh. The first set in verse 5 are personal sins related to our feelings, our inclinations, our desires, our drives. See, when you read this list in just a minute, let me, let me help you understand. When we talk about this thing called sin, sin is not the invention of something new. Sin is the corruption of what God created to be good. Do you all hear that? Sin is, your enemy never created anything new. What sin does is it takes what is good and from God and a gift to you and me and begins to twist and corrupt and distort it. That's what sin does. Sin lies, sin cheats, sin distorts, and sin kills. That's what it does. So Paul says, here's some things in our life that rise up. He starts with the expression of the sin, and then he goes to the very root of it, right down to the very heart of it. He says sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is this. It is a distortion of God's good and perfect gift of sexuality that God has given to every human being. And it is good, and it is life-giving, and it honors God, and it's joyful the way God has designed it. Sin creeps in and begins to distort it. And the world around us buys into the lie. Listen, sexual immorality is the broad topic of any sexual expression that operates outside of the good and perfect plan of God. God knows how it operates. God designed it. And to operate outside of that, the world says, is freedom. God says, no, it brings death. And pain and hurt. I don't care what you call it. When we choose to operate outside of God's good design, He said God has given human sexuality as a gift. Sin twists it and sin distorts it. Then He goes on and He says, impurity and evil desire and passion. Listen, passion was given by God. Passion is a good thing. Sin distorts our passions, and we begin with great passion to pursue things that bring death. So sin dies. So it goes from the expression, sexual immorality, to then the way we think about it. That our, our bodily desires, literally our inclinations, are twisted and corrupted by sin. Sin touches everything. And then he goes to the very root of it. Goes from the outward manifestation, goes into the very root of it. And then he says, verse 5, he says, the underlying root of all of it is this thing called Greed. King James says covetousness, an old Bible word. He's not even used that word in a while. Listen, it's the root of all of it. Because it's this, I am the center of my world. Listen, greed that we're all infected with ultimately means this, to have more. To have more. I want more. More. This is not enough. 
God's provision is not enough. God's plan will not satisfy. And the lie is this. I've got to step outside of God's provision, outside of God's plan to have enough to be truly satisfied. And listen, anything outside of God's perfect plan does not satisfy leads to death and pain. Greed says, I don't have it. I want it. I don't care what God says about it. I will be my own master. All sin is ultimately trying to live independently from God and make yourself God. All of it. That's the root of it. And Paul is saying, listen, because of who we used to be, apart from Christ, we were infected with that. All of us to the very core. Christ has now redeemed us. He's come to live inside of us. We're not who we used to be. But the residue of what we used to know and live is still active in our lives. Paul says, how do we deal with that? And he gets very specific here. This is, I'm, telling you, I'm reading this this week. I'm studying this week. I'm worn out with conviction over this. God's bringing some things to my life for a reason. Look in verse 8. He, he lists another group. And this group of sins is not so much personal. This group of sins is more social. And it's things committed against one another. He says, anger. Expression of our flesh is anger. We tend, because of our sin, because of the residue of who we used to be, we tend to lapse over into anger. Anger is not talking about righteous anger. There are things we are to get angry about. There are things that we get fired up about. This is not talking about that. This is talking about anger that is a deep, smoldering bitterness towards another person. Left unchecked. And by unchecked means we don't call it what it is. We say, well, it's just a personality quirk. Well, I just can't get along with this person. Well, they've just got so much problems. They just have so many issues. If they would just change and get right. And the whole time there's a smoldering bitterness in our heart that leads to the next thing, which is wrath. Wrath is an outburst of it. Wrath is the outward expression toward another person. Then becomes slander and we make attempts verbally or however we can to bring a person in someone else's eyes a little bit lower. If I can do something, say something to bring this person in your eyes a little bit lower, that makes me feel better because it makes me look like I'm over them. So we slander with our tongue. It is an attack against a person and the very image of God inside of that person. And Paul's saying, look, these tendencies, these old habits, these propensities, deceit, lying to one another, the list goes on. The residue of who we used to be still resides in us. And Paul says this, you've got to kill it. You've got to kill it. Verse 7, Paul says, in these you too once walked. He said, before Christ... Before you were transformed, Man, these things had to complete control over you. Then he says, when you were living in them, the idea that you were completely within them, they, they rule and reign in your life. Before Christ, you were completely under the dominating influence of sin. Paul says it's not the case now, but the residue of that is still there. These things that formerly characterize your life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask two questions. Very practical questions for my life and your life this morning. Straight out of this text. Here's question number one. How do we, as believers, 
Born again, transformed. How do we relate to sin? Because it's still in our life. And then secondly, how do we fight it? What's our relationship to it? And then how do we fight it? What does that look like? Paul helps us here. Question one, as Jesus followers, what is our relationship to sin now? And I'm going to give you three truths under each one. Make these really practical to your life. Now, let me just take a time out here for a second. I'm going to ask this question a little bit differently in a moment. But, but you got, maybe you're sitting there and you're going, all right, Pastor Mike, it sounds like you are pretty passionate about this this morning. And this is a... This is, Paul's getting almost militant about this. The idea of killing, it's almost this violent language. What's the big deal, man? I'm forgiven. Let me tell you, I am passionate about it. Here's some reasons. Number one, I'm a pastor who cares about you. Secondly, I'm a dad who cares about my family. I'm a follower of Christ who takes God at His word that yes, I'm redeemed. Yes, I'm forgiven. My sin are as far as from the east is from the west. But here's the reality. This morning, my sin in my life still has hideous results in my life. And so does it in yours. As a follower of Christ, Christ is in me. But because of my flesh, I still have the capacity to commit any sin under heaven. And so do you. Devastating consequences in this life. Let me give you some truths. How do we relate to sin? What's our relationship to sin now? Number one. I want you to get this really clear. Number one. Because of our union with Christ. We've been talking about that two chapters in Colossians. In Christ. Because of our union with Christ. The penalty of sin is fully paid. And the power of sin is broken. Don't miss that. I want you to see through the lenses of everything we're about to say. The reality that in Christ, your sin debt is paid. The eternal penalty of sin was placed on Christ. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, the power of sin in your life has been broken. That is a reality. Colossians 2 You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing to the cross. Romans 6. Since we have been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful self were crucified with him so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Listen, your relationship to sin as a believer is categorically, fundamentally different than it was as an unbeliever. Apart from Christ, it was your master. You yielded to the dictates of it. Now Christ is in you. You've been set free. Your penalty is paid. The power is broken. You get that. That's the gospel. You don't earn that. It's given freely in Christ. What about daily life? Number two. Truth number two is this. Sin continues to fight for influence in our daily lives. Now I've intentionally personified sin like it's a person. That it's fighting for influence in our daily lives to help us understand. There's still an influence of sin in our daily lives. Paul says this. That's why he said you've got to kill it. You've got to fight it. How does this work? What does this look like? 
Romans 6.12 says this. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. There it is. Struggle. There's a battle. There's a struggle in our daily lives as believers. Galatians 8, we mentioned it, or Galatians 5, 16, mentioned it earlier. Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of this flesh. These old habits, this residue of who we used to be. Sin continues to exert influence in our lives through remaining old habits, selfish desires, corrupt ways of thinking, evil passions, prideful insecurities, faithless fears that still operate in our unredeemed flesh as residue of who we used to be. Get that? Let me illustrate this for you. This is huge in your life. Imagine you... Imagine you had been a prisoner for 40 years. You're guilty. You served in a prison for 40 years. Every moment of your day was dictated by the warden. Here's when you get up. Here's when you eat. Here's what you wear. You were completely under the thumb of that warden for 40 years. You developed those habits. That was your pattern. You didn't know anything but that. And the judgment comes down. You've served your time. The judge says, paid in full. You're done. You're released. Your sentence is coming. You're no longer a prisoner. You're completely set free. Your record is wiped away. And you walk out of that prison. And the doors close behind you. And you begin to live daily life. And you get up the next morning and you realize, I'm waking up at the same time I did when I was in prison. I'm walking the same way I did when I was in prison. I'm following the same conduct, the same perspective of life. Because for 40 years, it's all I knew. Even though there is no warden anymore, he is powerless over me. These habits and the residue of who I used to be is still operative in my life. That's the flesh. And in our lives, it can work almost like a default setting on the computer. You know, you go and you put in all these new settings and you forget to toggle that little thing. And all these things you do, they revert to the way it used to be. Or this default setting in our flesh, our default is toward the things of sin. But now, Christ is in us. Everything's different, but the residue is still there. 1 Peter 2.11, Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. These things within us, this residue is waging war in us. That's why Paul says you've got to kill it. There's no room for passivity here. Let me illustrate it this way. In Romans chapter 7, Paul gives an incredible description of this thing. Romans 6 through 8 is really the guidebook in all of this. Romans chapter 6 is the idea of here's what the struggle looks like. Romans chapter 8 is here's the victory that is in the Spirit of God living within us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right there in Romans 7, though, is Paul describing the struggle between the Spirit and the flesh. And he says it like this. This is so helpful to me. Romans 7.21, this is not going to be on the screen, you can just listen. Paul says, so I find it to be a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Paul says, man, I want to do this, I want to live this way, I want to grow this way, I want to love this way. But sin's right there. And then Paul gives a word picture. He says in verse 24 of Romans 7, wretched man that I am... 
Who will set me free or who will deliver me from the body of this death? What are you talking about, Paul? If you were the church at Rome and you received the letter of Romans, you would hear that, the the body of death, and it would mean something to you. Paul is using a metaphor of that day, that in that day, if you were a murderer, a common sentence that was carried out against murderers is murderers, when they were found guilty, they would take a dead corpse and strap it to the back of the living murderer, and his punishment would be to walk around with a dead corpse strapped to your back. Imagine what life was like to want to do this or to want to do that and there's this dead corpse to your back holding you back. You want to go here. You want to do that. You want to do this. And it's like this body of death strapped to me. And Paul says, hey, that's what it's like talking about the flesh. Our old propensities, our old tendencies, this residue of who we used to be. Man, we want to do this. We want to serve this way. There's this desire within us to honor God and love people and do as God says because we love Him and He loves us. The desire is there. But this body of death, this unredeemed flesh, if you will, just holds us back. I don't know about you, but (laughs) I said this early service. This passage and things like this makes me so ecstatic for the day when King Jesus will return and he will give us our new glorified bodies and we're not going to be struggling with the flesh anymore. Do you long for that day? Aren't there those days you just long to say, man, here's the way I want to love my wife. Here's the way I want to raise my kids. The power is within me, but I struggle with this flesh. And you live there too. And that's the way it is for now. But there is a day coming. So Paul says, this body of sin, who will set me free? Then he answers his own question in Romans 7. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way we defeat this body of sin is the Spirit of God living inside of us. What does that look like? Let me illustrate this one final way for you really quick. And then we're going to go to truth number three. September 2nd, 1945, on board the battleship Missouri, World War II officially ended. The Empire of Japan was defeated. The war was over. The outcome was set. The outcome was certain. But for years following that, on islands all over the South Pacific, pockets of Japanese soldiers continued to fight for Japan, even though Japan was a defeated enemy. They were called holdouts. They were called stragglers because the word had not gotten to them or they refused to give in. And the battle still raged, even though the war was over. That's the flesh. Wow. I don't think I said anything wrong. So Paul says, listen, we're forgiven. We're in Christ. Penalty's gone. Power's gone. Yet we still struggle. Then truth number three is this. What is our relationship to sin? Paul's very clear here. We wage war to kill the remaining influence of sin in our lives. Verse 5, put to death, therefore. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God's posture towards sin hasn't changed. He hates it. You know why he hates it? Because he loves you. Listen, if one of my kids gets a diagnosis 
of cancer. And the report is in. There's something in them that's going to infect their lives. I am not taking a posture of passivity. I want to get that child to the doctor. I'm going to find out how to fight it. We're going to wage war against this thing that's within them because I realize it will lead to their ultimate destruction. Sin, even in this life, even as believers, when we choose sin and we choose to live in sin and we don't deal with it, still kills. And it corrupts. And it destroys homes and marriages. Parents, to to just turn a blind eye to the lives of our teenagers and what's going on in their lives and think, oh, everything's going to work out. Sin still kills, still cheats, still destroys, still corrupts. And Paul, with the attitude of a father as a loving pastor, says, listen, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, your eternity is set, but there is still the presence and the influence of that sin in your life. Here's your attitude. Put it to death. Somehow, someway in our lives as Christians, we can take on the idea of passivity here. And the notion is this, man, it's all grace. I'm forgiven. Everything's good. This thing in my life is just a little struggle. It's no big deal. My finances are a mess. My relationships with people are a mess. But man, I'm forgiven. And we can take on this idea of passivity and not realize that that's a cancer growing within us, and that still kills, still corrupts, still causes great pain in your life. Listen, I don't know why you're here this morning in the sense that, but I do know nobody is here this morning by chance, and it is without question. There are some of you in this room who are toying with sin in your life, and maybe you need to hear this morning, fight that thing because it's fighting you. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, I'll just read this very quick. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, this is speaking to believers. The one who sows to his own flesh, lets our flesh control. Let's these old, unregenerate desires and passions be unchecked by the word of God and the spirit of God. He who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. And the word corruption means decay, spoiling, rotting carcass. This body of sin that you're carrying around will begin to ooze into your own life and begin to corrupt and begin to kill. Sin still kills. Ed Welch wrote in a book called A Banquet to the Grave. He said the only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out you fighting it in your life, man? Or have you taken on a passive posture and think, man, I'm forgiven, everything's going to work out? Here's the word of God. Put to death the influence of sin in your life. Okay, Pastor Mike. I get that this is a serious thing. I, I understand the struggle a little bit more now. I, I, there's even a degree of encouragement that The struggle is indicative that the Spirit of God is within me, wrestling with sin. So how then do we kill sin in our daily life? What does it look like? What's the battle plan? What does the Bible say about that? I'm going to give you four things really quick and we're done. Very practical. 
very applicable. Here's what Paul says, Galatians 5, 16. We'll start there. I read it earlier. We'll read it again. But I say, walk, live your life, yield to the control of the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Stop right there. The power to overcome this residue of sin, this influence of sin in our lives. By the way, the battle is going to continue until we die. There's going to be a battle. The power does not come from us. The power is not to defeat the flesh with the flesh. You're not going to defeat the flesh by willpower. You're not going to say, okay, man, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more. I'm going to get my elbow grease. I'm going to make a new commitment. I'm going to make a fresh promise. doesn't work that way. That's your own power. You don't defeat the flesh from your flesh. You defeat the flesh from the Spirit of God living inside of you. The promise of Scripture is this, child of God. Jesus has taken up residence. He is transforming you into His own likeness. He's he's changing you. You are transformed and you're being transformed. So let me assure you, right now, at this moment today, if you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is working in your life to battle sin. My job is to align myself With what he is doing. How do I do that? Four things. Number one. Ready? Fight with your sword. (laughs) You say, what do you mean, Pastor? I guess it sounds cute and all that. It's, It's so simple. Ephesians 6 says this. Speaking of our only offensive weapon, or one of our only offensive weapons says, Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God has given you truth. God has given you power. God has given you the power to transform your thinking, transform your desires, transform that which is operating within you to bring you to more to be more like Christ. And the power is the living word of God, the sword of the spirit. We fight with our sword. Psalm 119:9. How can a young man keep his way pure? You asking that question parents? I am. How can a young man or a young woman, how can an old man or an old woman, right? Well, I'm older. I don't struggle with that stuff. Hogwash! Your body might have slowed down, but you still got prevailing sin in you. You just become old and crotchety. I'm just kidding. How can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119.9. By keeping it according to your word. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.133. Establish my footsteps in your word. And do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Here is the bottom line in this. The sway or influence of the flesh in our lives is directly proportional to the place we give God's word in our life. Period. In other words, if the Word of God is merely something you come in here on Sundays and you're wondering why you struggle during the week with these fleshly desires and these impulses that you can't control, guess what? You can't control them. They're stronger than you, but they're not stronger than the Spirit within you. And the weapon the Spirit uses is the Word of God. Word Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 6, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. I need to hear on a regular basis, sin is not your master, Mike. 
You don't have to yield to that. That's not the way we think. You do have the power to love. And the very power of the Word of God to transform and give me capacity to love like I couldn't love before. The Word of God. Number two, these will go quick. Number one, we fight with our sword. Number two, we speak truth to ourselves. Let me... Well, 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, positionally you're already forgiven. Practically in this life, our feet get dirty. And one of the reasons we continue to not fight with sin is because we don't call it what God calls it. Let me give you an example. Well, I do have an overspending problem, but it's just poor management. It's not. It's greed. And you're going to continue to wrestle and be defeated. And you're going to miss out on the joy of experiencing what God has entrusted to you because you're calling it something else. Confession in the Bible is a tool given to believers for sanctification that simply means this. Say the same thing God says. Call it what God calls it. Well, you know, it's not really bitterness in my heart. I just kind of have a personality quirk, and this person has a personality quirk. We just have bad chemistry. God calls it bitterness. Speak truth to yourselves. You'll never know the freedom that is in Christ by calling it something other than what it is. Thirdly, Fight with your sword. Speak truth to ourselves. Thirdly, speak truth to one another. Oh, this is so huge. On in Colossians 3, and we're going to get there in a few weeks, but the Colossians 3.16 says this very quickly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, what we just talked about, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Here's what that means. God has placed you in a family. God has placed us in the family with one another. And I desperately need, I have the power to completely self-deceive. I have the power to walk in deception, to distort the way I see things. I need brothers and sisters in my life who love me enough to come and say, Hey bro, everything's not okay. I'm not going to just try to make you happy. If you continue down this path, the way you're thinking is not according to God's word. And bro, I love you enough to say, if you continue on down that path, it's going to lead to your destruction. Listen, do you understand that's what community is? We're not intended to fight this battle alone. Oh God, give us the place where we can lovingly, with truth, admonish one another in love. Hey. That doesn't mean you walk in here Sunday and you say, well, I don't care who it is or what's going on, I'm going to find me somebody to admonish. And you're like the Holy Spirit walking around with your machine and looking for somebody to... No, that's not the idea. It's a spirit of love. And it's a spirit to say, I love you, brother, enough that I'm going to speak truth in your life. And you may be mad at me. It may hurt now because I love you enough to know you're headed down a path of destruction. See? Fourthly and finally, and I'm going to ask the team just to come on up and begin to play. We're almost finished, but I want you to hear this final point, all right? So how how do I fight? I fight with the Word of God. 
I take the Word of God and I speak truth into my own life. I call it what it is. I, I, I surround myself with community. I'm in life groups. I'm, I'm open. I want people to speak truth into my life. And then fourthly is this. <laughs> we behold the Son. What? Bottom line, Word of God in our lives. Brothers and sisters speaking into our lives. The ultimate way to put sin to death in our daily lives is because we love something more than our sin. Did you get that? So you're ultimately going to fa follow your passions and your desires. We're going to. We're wired that way. The Spirit of God the Word of God in community with the people of God changes our desires and our affections and we come to know King Jesus and here's what Jesus said John 15, 14 said this John 14, 15 if you love me you keep my commandments now listen Jesus didn't say if you love me you keep my commandments that's not what he said he said hey if you love me You'll be keeping my commandments because you love me. The motivation supremely is love for Christ and the sin that I struggle, the temptations that float along. All of these things become less and less and less appealing because of Christ in me. You don't battle sin by focusing on sin. Do you know that? You battle sin by focusing on Christ in says put these things to death he says at the end of Colossians he says and you do this having put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator by focusing on the image and the likeness and the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ who is all and in all hallelujah what a savior just bow your head with me for just a minute our team is going to come and play. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. Before we do that, I, I want you to experience for a moment a, a time of response right there in your seat. Before you start moving around, before you move on to the next thing, the Word of God, as best I can, has been shared in your lives this morning. And I know what happens. The Spirit of God is prompting some of you right now. A truth landed on you or an awareness of something fell to you or whatever it may be. Yours is to right now say, Lord, by your strength, not mine, not another promise, not another commitment, not another effort to know, Lord, I am yielding to you. By your spirit will I battle sin. Jesus, give me a greater love for you. God, help me to call it what it is. Lord, help me to be open to brothers and sisters speaking truth. And Lord, most of all, Jesus, let me love you. God. So much that the appeal of draw and draw of sin is less and less and less and less in my life. See that? So I'm going to pray for you. Just a second. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. We're going to continue to worship. And trust that God does His work in your heart this morning. Father, we love you. Spirit of God, I'm inviting you. I'm asking you. I'm pleading with you. 
to move in our hearts and our midst, starting with me, bring this word of God to life in our experience, Lord, that we would walk in repentance and confession and, de- and dependence on you. And Lord, let our eye of faith behold the beauty of King Jesus, that the sins that battle in our hearts become less and less and less because of you. Need you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.